0: other things on my mind. Job chapter 22. This evening we're going to look at Eliphaz, Eliphaz, the Temanite's final speech. Um, I kind of questioned whether or not to to, uh, do a sermon on Eliphaz, knowing that he's not inspired, but uh, after having a conversation with Chuck, I decided to move forward with it. So our sermon this evening and our lesson, our thoughts are going to come from verses 21 through 30. Uh, Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll get into... Um, A little bit of background. Eliphaz here says in 2221, Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive please instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down and you say exaltation will come and he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. So Eliphaz, Eliphaz the Temanite, he is the... First person mentioned of the three friends, um, and several things I read, given the fact he was mentioned first, he was maybe the more prominent. Um, But what do we know about Eliphaz? Uh, Not a whole lot. We know Esau had a son named Eliphaz, and Eliphaz then had a son named Teman. A Temanite would obviously be a person from Teman, much like a Moabite would be from Moab. And we know Job is an ancient book, so it could be possible that Job's friend and Eliphaz, Esau's son, could have been the same person. Again, we don't. there's not too much to know about Eliphaz. Um, we know that Teman was once place, a place known of wisdom. Jeremiah 49, verse 7, Jeremiah writes, Against Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? So Eliphaz could have been a very wise person. So, um, what else do we know about Eliphaz? Well, he was a friend of Job, and I put in there, he was a wannabe comforter. He wasn't very good at it, we'll put that in quotes. He wanted to be a comforter, which we can learn a lot from this evening. Um, he gave three separate speeches. Uh, he didn't believe about Job's faithfulness, neither did his friends. He assumed the worst of Job, that he was a sinner, and that he had sinned. He was the first to speak to Job in four, Job 4.1. In Job 4, 12-21, he claimed to have had a dream about God's righteousness. He claimed to have studied about geolo- uh, theology. Geology. No, theology in Job 5 27. We know he was rebuked by God for his false words to Job in uh, Job 42 7. And he, along with Bildad and Zophar, repented as God commanded in Job 42 9. So that's kind of what we know about Eliphaz. Um, We know that the words of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and Elihu are not inspired. Um, They are part of the account of Job, but we know they are not inspired words of God. And so, however, as the saying goes, even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Um, And what do we mean by that? Obviously, it's an expression used to say that even an unreliable person can succeed sometimes, and that succeeding once doesn't prove someone reliable So, we're going to look at the nut here that Eliphaz found. Because, although he's not inspired, his words speak truth about what a person needs to do to be right with God. When we think about Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they must have been close, intimate friends with Job. They heard of his adversity. They traveled from their own homes to come and mourn with him and comfort him. When they saw him, they wept at his appearance. They tore their robes sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, and then sat with him for seven days and seven nights. We see that in Job 2, 11 through 13. Those were some close intimate friends. Those are friends that we would love to have, people that are willing to come to you and come to us in difficult times and be with us. Now, what they say, that's another story, but for them being there, those are good friends. Sometimes we just need to be present and shut up. Um, and that We'll look at that a little bit. I Except they, they must have been very close friends, and yet, and yet, they knew not of the reason for Job's affliction and adversity, but they still felt the need to give their advice. Give instruction, chastise, rebuke Job for what they thought was Job's sin. Again, what they thought was Job's sin. They didn't know. And we need to learn from that. We need to learn when it is not our business to give one's opinions on matters we do not know or understand. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar knew only one side, and we're in no place to give advice due to that position. We must be careful when we insert our opinions into matters that we only know one side of the situation with risk of offending other brethren. That's one definite lesson we can learn from these three men. But let's get on to the text of Job 22. The first part of Job 22, Eliphaz starts talking about Job's wickedness, Um. His supposed of i like I would rather say. After then, he starts to give some sound advice, starting in verse 21. Although, for advice to Job, it was pointless and flat. It mattered not. But we can still learn from it. It is sound advice for one who is truly living in wickedness, one who has fallen away, and one that needs reminding of God's faithfulness. So what does he say that's accurate? All right. So again, when we see that he was talking about Job's wickedness that's brought on his suffering, is turned to instruction. Verse 21, he says, "Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace; thereby good will come to you." Acquaint yourself with God. Acquaint here now. uh, You know, starting through the verse here. Now he is beseeching Job. Now, you know, he's beseeching him to acquaint himself, familiarize himself with God, know God intimately. That's sound instruction. To look at somebody else and say, know God, acquaint yourself with God, know him, listen to his instructions. Um, That's sound instruction for anybody, Um, whether you're a false teacher or not, those are sound instructions. Um, There are many things in this world that promise improvement, but none better than becoming and acquainting ourselves with God. He says, acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. When I read that, I think peace that passes all understanding. Job didn't have much peace at this moment, at least not physically. Um, and I think that's kind of what he was also tormented mentally um, and spiritually about what was happening to him. But when you think about peace, peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, Job needed to acquaint himself with God and be at peace. We need to acquaint ourselves with God and be at peace. And there is no peace. And and it's a biblical concept. Again, going back to Eliphaz is not inspired, but this is a very biblical concept. Galatians 6.16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace, and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. When we walk according to God's will, we acquaint ourselves with him, we can have peace. There's no peace without God, especially not true inward peace. When we think peace here, we're not talking lack of conflict. It's not the way people of the world think about peace. Peace is mentioned in the New King James Version 94 times in the New Testament. And we know that the apostles... Christians, and even Christ did not lack conflict. So he's not talking here about lack of conflict. He's talking about true inward biblical peace. When we think of true inward biblical peace, the best example we can think about is Christ. He knows he's going to be crucified on the cross and doing, and doing it because it is what your Father in Heaven has commanded you to do. He took lashings, the verbal abuse. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He saw and heard, because he was alive, the sound of a hammer that is driving nails through his hands and feet and never once complain, going like a sheep to the slaughter, silent and willingly. That's from Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before a shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That peace only comes from being intimate with God. That's the peace that we need to have when we acquaint ourselves with God. So going on in that verse, thereby good will come to you. Good does indeed come from God. There are many good people in the world, and they even sometimes do good from others. Russ talked about that this morning. I think it was in Bible class about, or maybe the sermon. Good in you know, good in the news. We hear a little bit about a good in these days, but true good only comes from one, and he is the good teacher, Jesus Christ and God the Father. Psalm twenty-three six says here. I'm going to say David, but I could be wrong. Um, There were several authors there in Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy follows us if we stay in the house of the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is. We see that in Galatians 5.22, and again mentioned a second time in Ephesians 5.9. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God. But we must be mindful of his goodness, because with his goodness also comes severity if we are not faithful. We can see that in Romans 11, verses 19 through 24. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild, is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are of natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Goodness and severity. They kind of go hand in hand. So we see here Eliphaz is giving the advice, acquaint yourself with God, be at peace, thereby good will come to you. Sound biblical advice. The first nut that Eliphaz has found. Verse 22. Receive, please, receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up words in his heart. Receive here is a Hebrew word. Um, I'm not going to speak Hebrew words or try to interpret that. but it, is, it, it also interpreted elsewhere in the Bible as seize or acquire, snatch, fetch, to take hold of, um, lay hold of. It, to me, it's not really the idea of, oh, here's a gift, receive it. It's the idea of, it's almost like it needs to be taken from the source. You need to take that instruction, um, almost forcefully taken. Receive that instruction from his mouth. And then, please is please. It's, it's, it's almost a tone of begging Job, please take instruction. Because Eliphaz, again, loved him and cared for him. Um, Instruction from his mouth. You know, the law or or direction, a precept or statute, especially from the Pentateuch, um, is from the mouth of God. Not worldly instruction. He's telling him to receive instruction from God. And then we lay up that instruction. We set it up. We place it somewhere. Where are we going to place it? We're going to place it in our hearts. You know, let's go back to Psalm 119. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God need to be in our hearts Psalm 37 verse 30 the mouth of the righteous speak wisdom and his tongue talks of justice the law of his God is in his heart none of his steps shall slide you just look at the book of Proverbs it is full of verses about having, keeping, retaining and writing the words of God on your heart again Eliphaz has a biblical advice, biblical example of what Job needs to be about what any person needs to be be right with God. Before we move on to verses 23 and further, these two verses here, 21 and 22, it gives the impression that he is absolutely imploring with Job to listen to God so he can be healed and reconciled. We know the truth; we have the whole story of why Job was being tormented. The Eliphaz did not. What Eliphaz saw was Job afflicted in torments, boils all over his body, lost his entire family, his entire wealth, except his wife, and just sitting there in misery. And he wants him to be better. He's just imploring him, get you, get back to God, and so God will take care of you. Almost to the point he was begging with Job to listen to God, to repent. He uses words like, now, receive, please. His friends were definitely in the wrong in the fact that they were accusing him of wickedness, but I don't think it can be um, overlooked that they loved Job and wanted Job to be better. Now, they're going about it wrongly, but they did. And I think we can see that through these first two verses. That he loved and wanted him to be at peace. And my question to you after finishing these two verses is, have we ever loved someone, cared for them so much, and that, cared for that person, their soul, so deeply that we implored, that we begged, pleaded with them to return to God. Have we ever done that? Please turn to God. Please live rightly. Do the right thing. Don't abandon the church. Don't abandon God. Sometimes we think, hey, we sent a letter. I'm done. Oh, sent a text. Missed you. We can learn from, Je- from Eliphaz here and the fact that he is present with Job, trying to get his life back. Now again, we know he wasn't inspired. Job didn't need to return to God. Job never left God. But the biblical message and the message is still the same um, and what we can learn from that. So moving on to verse 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Remove, returning to the Almighty, you will be built up. Um, Job is an ancient, ancient book. Um, uh, believed by some to be the oldest book in the Bible. Some believe it was written between 7th and 4th centuries BC. Others believe somewhere between. Um, either way, um, if it's truly the case that it's the oldest book in the Bible, these are all prophetic statements. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Think about the nation of Israel the cycle they go back to God God builds them up they return and they fall away a biblical this, this cycle of what they continue to do like that prophetic words if that was true that this was written before in one of the earliest books if it was written after Eliphaz obviously had knowledge of that because they saw it happen over and over and over again of leaving um the, leaving God and coming back Um, you know I wrote here, so the Israelites returned to God, he built them up, and they would live righteously, and then they would fall away again. You know, Wash, winds, repeat. Wash, winds, repeat. Over and over and over again, that's what the Israelites did until their ultimate destruction. Um, nonetheless, if we see that biblical example, they returned to the Almighty, God built them back up, and then they fell away again. It's a biblical concept. It's a right concept. If we return to the Almighty, if we stay with the Almighty, if we stay with God, we will be built up. And then you will remove iniquity far from your tents. Uh, A return to the Almighty means that we return to the right ways. We are returning to righteousness. We're returning to goodness. We're returning to godliness. We're putting those things of the world behind us. So when we return to the Almighty, we can be built up and we can put away that iniquity that we might have in our lives and that Eliphaz believed, Job had. We distance ourselves from it. Um, sin, wickedness, per- perverseness from our tents. Um, tents here, we're talking, mean our homes, or our earthly tent, our body. And I think it would be both ways. We need to get it out of our body. We need to get it out of our presence, and we need to remove it from our homes. It needs to be removed from homes in order for, for people to live Righteously. And it isn't meant to be temporary. It's meant to be a permanent removal of iniquity. Not perfection. Job, uh, Job was blameless, but not perfect. But the striving for a life of righteousness. Verse 24. Then you will lay your gold in the dust, and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Um, I listened to one sermon on this verse, and uh, I greatly disagreed with his idea. Um the saying that Eliphaz was saying that Job's gold, which he had much of because we remember he was wealthy, um, would become like the dust, meaning he would have so much that would be as numerous as dust as numerous stones in the brook. I read it a little differently. I read it as Eliphaz telling Job that if he would return to God, which we'd know he didn't need to, because he was faithful and righteous, his riches would be as meaningless as dust and as stones in a brook. That's when you return to, when you live for God, riches don't matter the same as if you are living for the world. And so, in the, in the um, context here, it very much seems like he's telling them to return to God, put away those riches, put away the gold. There's dust. There's brook, stones in a brook. Ophir is an unknown place of origin, um, based on a lot of historians and what I read, but it, it was believed to be a place of a lot of gold and some of the purest gold you could have. And Eliphaz is saying, you know, if you return to God, it doesn't matter. That stuff just goes away. Get rid of it. Because we'll see in the next verse what his true gold, what his true riches, what his true silver is going to be. And we we can look at this and say, we know it's true that riches will prevent a person from being faithful to God. We can know that easily when we look at the rich young ruler. Um, Christ said in Matthew 19.24 following his meeting with the ruler and again I say to you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's about where your treasure is. Is your treasure in the earthly things or is your treasure in heaven? Eliphaz is accusing implying here that Job's Treasure was in his gold and in his money. Wrongly implying, but however, when we apply it to the world today, we can look at many people and say, forget about those treasures, put your gold, your silver, and your treasure in heaven. That's where it needs to be. Verse 25. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. That's where his treasure needs to be. Heaven, the wisdom of God, the teachings of Christ, that is our gold and precious silver. It is our prized possession, not our worldly possessions. Sometimes things happen in life and we get reminded of that, where our treasure needs to be. We lose jobs, things change. The price of things skyrockets, and so you can't afford a lot of things you afforded, you know, six months ago. And it helps you to reevaluate where your focus is. If we look at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, it says here, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We are not to be desiring earthly riches. We need to be desiring the law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear, the judgments of the Lord. That is what we are supposed to be seeking. That is what is supposed to be our gold and our precious silver. Not the earthly possessions. Jesus said it very well again in Matthew six nineteen 19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also our treasures need to be in heaven moving on to 26 for then you will have your delight in the almighty and lift up your face to God looking at the context Eliphaz is accusing Job of wicked, wickedness. Tells him he needs, he's lived a wicked life. It happened in verse in chapter 22 and in the other two speeches he had. He's accusing him of that wickedness. And when somebody is being wicked and evil and sin, usually there's guilt associated with that. And I think we've probably all been in a situation where we have felt guilt for something we've done. And it's sometimes hard to look at the, look at somebody and talk to them when you're feeling guilty. Or how about when your child comes to you and they're, they know they messed up and they're feeling bad about it and they don't want to lift up their face and look at you. They just hang their head down. That's the idea I get here. When he returns to God, he when a person returns to God, when they put their treasure where it's supposed to be, when they forget about the riches of the world, then we can lift up our face to God. We can look up to God. We can lift up and we can be... Um I don't I struggle to find a word of how to you what here, but we can we can look up to him without guilt. I don't want to say you know proud, but we can we can understand that we're doing right and we can lift up our face and look at him. Uh guilt can cause a lot of things. It can cause us to turn to not to turn to God, to turn away and try to find other solutions. However,. If we look at what Eliphaz says, we acquaint ourselves with God, receive instruction, lay up words in our heart, return to the Almighty, put our trust in the riches of God, and not earthly, then we can lift up our face to God. We can have a sense of respect for who we are, what we do, and what we did, and what we're doing for Christ. And we can face God, His truth, His teachings, and His love for us without guilt. Moving on to 27 here, he says, You will make your prayer to Him, and He will hear you and he will pay your vows. We know that when we are faithful and righteous, God hears us. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. When we are penitent and return to God, God hears us. Moving on to 29, You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. If we look back at Job chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3. Read a little bit about Job here. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east he's the greatest of all the people in the east I think we have to keep that context in, in Eliphaz's instructions here when he says you will also declare a thing and will be established for you so light will shine in your ways Job was a man that had authority and probably some power he was the greatest of all the people in the east that speaks a lot for who he is it gives credence to Eliphaz's statement that he will declare a thing and will be established when he has returned to his place, uh, when he has his riches back, he has his, his authority and his possessions, and people look at him differently, he can go back to possibly ruling or having that authority when he gets through with that. He'll be reestablished. and could have what he once had. Um I do not believe and I will not teach that if we return to God that we're going to declare something that's going to be established. I think that one has to be put in the context of what of Job's situation there everything else we can apply to our lives but we don't just get to say this is what's going to happen it's going to happen it doesn't work that way we have to stay within the scriptures and we have to stay within the word of God verse 29 and when they cast you down and you say exaltation will come then he will save the humble person there's a lot of different interpretations on this one out there um I kind of threw them all out the window because I didn't like any of them um but the way I looked at this was a little bit was being able to comfort somebody who's been in that same situation that Job was just in. There was a uh, a post on LinkedIn, I'm on that a lot for work, about, as uh, a story. I want to read it here. It says, a soldier with P- PTSD fell into a hole and couldn't get out. Hey, some of you might know, I've read this before. A senior NCO went by, and a soldier with PTSD called out for help. The senior NCO yelled at him, yelled, um, yelled, told him to suck it up, dig deep, and drive, drive on. And then threw him a shovel. But the soldier with PTSD could not suck it up and drive on, so he dug the hole deeper. A senior officer went by, and the soldier with PTSD called out for help. The senior officer told him to use the tools your senior NCO had given you, then threw him a bucket. But the soldier with PTSD was using the tools his senior NCO gave him, so he dug the hole deeper and filled the bucket. Psychiatrist walked by. The soldier with PTSD said, help, I can't get out. Psychiatrist gave him some drugs and said, take this, it will relieve the pain. The soldier with PTSD said thanks, but when the pills ran out, he was still in the hole. A well-known psychologist rode by and heard the soldier with PTSD cries for help. He stopped and asked, How did you get there? Were you born there? Did your parents put you there? Tell me about yourself. It will alleviate your sins and loneliness. So the soldier with PTSD talked with him for an hour. Then the psychologist had to leave, but he said he'd be back next week. The soldier with PTSD thanked him, but he was still in the hole. A priest came by. The soldier with PTSD called for help. The priest gave him a Bible and said, I'll say a prayer for you. He got down on his knees and prayed for the soldier with PTSD. Then he left. The soldier with PTSD was very grateful. He read the Bible but he was still stuck in the hole. A recovering soldier with PTSD happened to be passing by. The soldier with PTSD cried out, Hey, help me. I'm stuck in this hole. Right away, the recovering soldier with PTSD jumped down in the hole with him. The soldier with PTSD said, What are you doing? Now we're both stuck in here. But the recovering soldier said, the recovering soldier with PTSD said, Calm down. It's okay. I've been here before. I know how to get out. Sometimes only a person that has been in a situation has the power to save somebody who's in the situation because they know what it's like they've been there and they know how to get out when we look at that verse when you ca- when they cast you down and you say exaltation will come then he will save the humble i go back to second corinthians, corinthians 1 through 3 or second corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so you also partake of the consolation. Paul is helping the Corinthian brethren to understand that their suffering is beneficial because they can now comfort other people who have been through it. Job now has the ability to empathize with somebody else who might be going through struggles and problems because he's just been through it. And he can help them get out of those situations. And we can help people get out of situations when we've been in. Sometimes in life we don't like to share the things we've been through, the things we struggle with. We like to stay private. It's nobody's business. But you can help people when you are willing to talk to them and open up and be there for them. Verse 30. He will even deliver one who is not innocent, yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. Job, when reestablished, would be able to save and deliver his others as he had before. Job was a righteous man; he was blameless and righteous, man who would offer sacrifices on behalf of his children, just in case they might sin, just in case they might sin. Job 1.4, and his sons would go and feast in their house, each one on his appointed day. And they would sin and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would sin and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He obviously understood the importance of obedience to God and what needed to be done. Job did, and so he was willing to do that for his children. And I, I believe that somebody who's willing to do that for his children is probably willing to do that for other people. He loved his children. He loved God. He understood the importance. And so here, Eliphaz is reminding Job that if he returns to God, then he can be able to do it again. <clears throat> well, we will look at these uh, last four, a few verses here. I see at least four blessings that Eliphaz says Job would receive once he returned to God. And it's four blessings that anybody is going to receive when we turn to God, when we're with God. We can lift up our face before God. We can lift up our face to God and look at Him. God will hear us. When we are faithful, when we are acquainted with Him, when we're intimate with God, God will hear us. Light will shine on our ways, and then God will save the humble. We know that none of the charges of wickedness were brought forth by any of Job's friends. Eliphaz, uh, Bildad, gone blank, Elihu, (laughs) I can't remember the other one. Um, None of them were right. None of them were correct in their accusations. So we know that those verses here 21 through 30 they're invalid points to Job completely invalid points however we do know and we can read that and see that Eliphaz did make good points for the lost and anyone living in sin today as I put here it says Eliphaz found a nut it said even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes it was a good nut It's enough that we could all read, study, and use to convince those outside the church, those in sin, those of the world, to come to God. You know, we can apply these concepts at any time and any place in our lives. However, we always have an opportunity at the end of each service to make our lives right with God if we need to. So, if any of these might apply to you tonight, do you need to reacquaint yourself with God? Do you need to receive his instruction? Do you need to return to the Almighty? Do you need to remove iniquity from your tent, from your life? Just so the door is open as we stand and sing.